Good morning. My name is Brandon, uh, as he said, one of the pastors here. Uh, we are in a series in the Gospel of Luke, focusing in on the life and the teachings and the ministry of uh, Jesus. And this week we hit a, a fairly well-known story, a fairly well-known story that Jesus told where he challenges some commonly held assumptions about the nature of sin and salvation, commonly held assumptions both then and now, assumptions that will lead us, lead us to confusion over who the message of Jesus is good news for, about who this kingdom of God that Luke has been highlighting Jesus preaching is for. And so before we get into the text, I want to, I want to back up and I want to look at who it is that Jesus is talking to. Because being able to identify who it is that this conversation is with, who this story is being told to, will help us to understand precisely what it is that Jesus is saying. And so let's go back to the beginning of chapter 15, and it starts out like this. Now, the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him, him being Jesus. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. Now, this is the scene, this is the setting, Jesus eating with people called tax collectors and sinners, and the Pharisees not being happy about it. This is uh, what this story is in response to. It's in response to this group of Pharisees being upset with Jesus eating with people they didn't think he was supposed to be eating with. And so we need to understand who these people are. So first, there are the Pharisees. The Pharisees, these were the religious leaders, the religious leaders of the day. They taught to be accepted by God, you obeyed God. You obey the law of God, and you become accepted by God. And then there were the tax collectors and sinners. These were the irreligious outsiders. In fact, the tax collectors were some of the most hated people uh, in Israel. Uh, they worked with the Roman government, uh, levying the taxes, but then they would have a few percentage points for themselves on top exploiting the Jewish people, but there was nothing that the Jews could do about it. And so these were some of the most hated people in the land. And then sinners. These are people who have no chance with God in their eyes, in the Pharisees' eyes. It wasn't like an individual, like you're a sinner, you're, you know, you're a bad person. It was just a collective group of people who, who had no chance at a relationship with God because they had been unfaithful to the law of God. So these two groups of people, these two groups of unwanted outsiders, they are coming near to Jesus, and Jesus, instead of doing what he is supposed to do, tell them, this is what you need to go to do and to, to get your life right. This is what you need to go and do in order to become acceptable to God. What does he do? He sits around a table. He cooks a meal with them. He says, how do you, how do you, how do you like it? Overdone, underdone? What about the wine? What about the wine? You, a little bitter for me. T tell me. Tell me this. Tell me about your story. Tell me your childhood. Tell me about your life. How, how did you end up where you are? Jesus has a meal with people that the Pharisees think he has no place and no business having a meal with. In fact, what he's supposed to be doing is correcting them and instructing them, not eating with them. So why would this upset the Pharisees? Well, for one, a meal communicates a degree of acceptance. A meal communicates a degree of acceptance, and this would have bumped up against the Pharisees' view of how the world and how God worked. You see, to the Pharisees, this is how it worked. You do what's right, and you're accepted. You do what's wrong, and you're rejected. Do what's right, 
accepted. Do what's wrong, and you're rejected. And these groups of people had both been living lives, doing what was wrong, disobedient, and deserve to be rejected, not people that you share a meal with. And so Jesus enters in, he presses in, and he corrects them with a story. It's a representative story. What do I mean by representative story? What I mean is that the characters in the story represent people in the audience, people listening. And so the story that he tells, it has three main characters. There's the younger brother, the older brother, and the father. The younger brother represents the tax collectors, the sinners, the irreligious outsiders. The older brother represents the Pharisees, the religious insiders, and then the father represents God. In this story, the way that he tells it is intended to be a story that everyone in this room, Christian or non-Christian, is able to identify with and find yourself in this story. I want to, if I have time in the end, make a case that everyone in this room, everyone in this room will be able to identify with either one or both, older brother or younger brother. You're meant to find yourself in this story. And so here's, here's what I want us to do. I want us to enter into the story, and I want us to treat the story like a story, not a set of theological propositions, not like a theological equation, but treat the story as a story, since what Jesus did was give a story. I want to enter into the story, start where the story starts, and then see what he might have to say to us. And so he starts with the younger brother, and so we are starting with the younger brother, verse 11. And he said to the man, no, and he said, there was, he didn't say to the man, that's not at all what's written. And he said, there was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, father, give me the share of my property that's coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Now, let's set the cultural stage here. The younger brother would have been entitled to one third of the inheritance. So the older brother would have gotten two thirds Younger brother would have gotten one-third. Now, this was uh, not uh, illegal to ask for your portion of the inheritance early. It was not illegal. It wasn't breaking any law or rule. But it would have, however, nonetheless been a shocking request. It would have been a shocking request. And the, the father would have heard this request like this. Father, I wish you were dead. Give me what belongs to me. Father, I want to live as if you are dead. Give me my inheritance. Father, I want to live my life tomorrow as if you are no longer alive. Give me my third so that I can go and be about my way. In other words, the younger brother is saying to the father, I don't want you, I want your stuff. I don't want you, father. I don't want a relationship with you. I want what it is that you can give me. Give me my third. And Jesus shows us, Jesus shows us how the Father feels about this. This story that Jesus writes, this is not, this is not an abstract, emotionless story that Jesus writes. He is trying to draw us into the emotion of the story that might feel the weight of what he's saying. And so, uh, in showing us how the Father feels, it doesn't necessarily come through in English, and so you need to let me be a Greek nerd for a minute. But if we go back to verse 12, I want you to see this. It says, and the younger brother said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. Now, right here, this first use of the word property, it's the word um, uses. It's just the standard word for 
uh, property or wealth or goods. It's the, the son saying, there's a lot of stuff over there that belongs to me. I want that stuff. But it goes on. And the father, the end of verse 12, and he divided his property between them. Now, here's what's interesting. The word for property changes. It's not the standard stock word for property. It's not the word that simply means a portion of a 401k. The, the word that gets used here for property is the word bios. Bios. What, what word does that sound like? What Bios, what does it sound like? Bi? No, no. With a little bit more confidence, y'all. It's straightforward. Bios sounds like bi? There we go. Biology. It's the word for life. Here's the point. You know what the father is saying? All right, son, you want to take my life? Son, you want to divide my life? Go ahead. Son, you want to break my heart? Go ahead. You can. You want to tear my life apart? Go ahead, son. You can. This is how the father feels about what's happening. But he gives the portion to his younger son, and this is what happens. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered all his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into the fields, into his fields, to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. So the son leaves. He takes his third and he takes off. Now, that third would have been a substantial amount if he was uh, able to live on it. This is a picture of a disobedient son. This is not a picture of a good son who does what is right. This is a son who says, I'm going to take mine and I'm going to go. This is the rebel who grabbed his inheritance and ran. And then it says that a famine came and he ends up because that famine feeding pigs. Now, Jesus, knowing his audience, knowing the Pharisees, knowing that this famine pig would have perked their ears, it would have caused them to sit up and go, wait, I see what's happening here. You see, the, the Pharisees would have heard famine in a particular way. They would have thought, oh, I know what God is doing. See, here's how they heard famine. This is what famine meant to the Pharisees. This is from the Dictionary of Biblical Imagery. Famine was regarded as one of a number of divinely ordained scourges that God uses to punish both his people and others for their sins. For Israel, it is a curse particularly associated with breaking God's covenant. So to the Pharisees, what, what's this famine mean? What does the famine mean here? It, it means this, he's being punished for his disobedience. They would have heard he's getting what he deserves. This is the proper punishment for his disobedience. But then there's the pigs, and pigs in the Old Covenant were unclean. Unclean meaning unacceptable to God, meaning rejected by God. And see, here's what the Pharisees heard in unclean pigs and the famine. They heard this. They heard he is getting what he deserves. His disobedience deserves punishment. His disobedience deserves rejection. This younger brother is getting what he deserves. He deserves both. But now the younger brother realizes what's happened. And, but when he came to himself, 
came to himself, meaning when he came to his senses, when he realized what was going on, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your servants. So he realizes what's happening. And he says, I'm going to go back to my father, and I'm going to tell him I'm no longer worthy to be called a son. Treat me as a servant. But did you realize what he didn't say? Do you notice the younger brother did not say this? I, I bet what I have done has broken my father's heart, and I'm going to go back to him. Notice he did not say, I love my father, I love my family, I miss my father, I miss my family, I'm going home. He did not say that. He did not say, I'm going to return to my dad because I love my dad and I miss my dad. What he does is he says, look at my situation. Look at what I've done. Look at my life. I grew up with servants, and now they have a better life than I do. I've, I'm working for pigs. I want the food that pigs eat. Look at my life. I thought if I could get my third takeoff, that would be the good life that I wanted. And look at where it has got me. I am going home not because I miss my father. I'm going home because I am hungry and I don't want to starve to death. Let me tell you what I love about Jesus' teaching. I love a thousand things about Jesus' teaching. I dislike nothing about his teaching for the record. I love how real life his teaching is. I love how easy it is for us to identify with this because who in this room hasn't looked at their life and said, what have I done? Oh, what have I done? I wish I hadn't done that. Who can't identify with somebody with a little regret in their life? I love how real life his teaching is. But now here's the thing. If the younger brother is going to return to the father, there are some cultural norms and expectations that he is meant to follow. The Pharisees would have known this, and here are the expectations one. Expectation one is that he would have been disciplined by the father. If he goes back to the father, the father disciplines this son, and two, expectation two, is that he has to work to pay back all the money he has blown. So when he says, I'm no longer going to be called a son, treat me like a servant, he knows that if I go back, it is expected that I would be treated like a servant and not a son. That I have to work like a servant to pay back all that I have blown. But is that what happens? Let's keep reading. And when he arose and came to his father, imagine how this younger brother, this son, must have felt right now. The anxiety, anticipation, how is this going to go? How is my father going to receive me? And I'm starving. Does he have food for me? But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. And put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it. And let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they ate and began to celebrate. 
the son returns to his father, expecting to be treated like a servant. And what happens? The father runs to him. And now listen to me, Middle Eastern patriarchs did not run. Women ran, children ran, youth ran. The patriarch of the family did not run. For him to run, his legs would have been visible, which would have been culturally disgraceful. It would have been undignified. The patriarch did not run, but this father runs to him, and he doesn't run to him to discipline him. He runs to him to kiss him, to kiss him. A sign of love and affection and embrace. And then he says, go get my best robe and put it on him. Go get my best robe and put it on him. He does not say, hey, son, you stink. You've been wallowing in pigs. Go take a shower. Clean yourself up. Somebody get a robe ready for him when he gets out of the shower. He says, put it on him. Yes, I know how messy you are. Put my best robe on him. He is my son. Put it on him. This is my son. You go and you get the best robe I have, and you cover his stench with it. It's my son. And then grab a ring and put it on his finger, a ring that marks membership in my family. And then that ring, it's going to come with some shoes, sandals to cover your feet. Because you know what? You are no longer wallowing in this famine serving pigs. You are back in my house. Back, secured, protected, cared for, provided for in my house. And then he throws a party, and not just any party, an epic party, a party of the fattened calf. This, that would have fed the entire town. This is an epic, epic celebration. And in this interaction between the father and his son, Jesus is challenging some of the Pharisees' views of what salvation is what it means to have a relationship with God. You see, in the Pharisees' view, in their world, this is how it worked. This is the nature of salvation. You get what you deserve. You get what you deserve. If you obey, you are accepted. But here's the thing, and listen, I'll tell you up front, I'm stealing this next line from Tim Keller. In their world, in the Pharisees' understanding of what salvation was meant to be, what it was, there was room for obedience, but there was no room for a kiss. There was no room for intimacy and affection and love. There was no place for a kiss, and there was no celebration. You see, in their system, it went like this. You clean yourself up first, and then you put on the robe. In their system, God has servants. He doesn't have sons. In their system, you are a servant to obey, not a son to be kissed. And in their system, if you're the younger brother, you don't get to come back and be embraced by the father you get to come back and pay your debts off. You get to come back and you get to work to pay your debts off. You see, for the Pharisees, it went like this. You pay God back and then you get embraced. And Jesus is saying, no, the embrace comes first. The embrace comes first. The Pharisees' salvation flows out of your obedience. Jesus, it flows out of the embrace of God. See, it goes like this. I'm embraced Therefore, I obey. Not, I obey, and therefore, I'm embraced. Jesus is coming on the scene, and he's saying, younger brothers, tax collectors, sinners, anyone who has spent their life running from God, you are as welcome to draw near to me as anyone else. You come to me, and you experience the embrace of God, and then we'll deal with everything else later. 
But now he turns to the older brother. And in turning to the older brother, he's going to challenge their view of sin. So let's read. Verse 25. Now his older son was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come home. And your father has killed the fattened calf, because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. So the older brother hears about the party. He hears it going on. He goes to his servants and says, hey, what's happening? And the servant says, your father, he's, he's throwing an epic shindig, man. Here's why. It's because your brother is back. Your brother is home. And he says, I'm not going into that. And so what does the father do? Did you catch what the father did? He went to the older brother. He entreated, pleaded with, said, come on in. Come on in, older brother. Come on, son. See, now culturally, the older brother had a role to play. The older brother's role culturally was to reconcile the younger brother and the father, to be the mediator, the agent of reconciliation in between the two. I told you this was a representative story where the layers of representation keep going here because just like the father's role was to, or the, sorry, the older brother's role was to reconcile the younger brother and the father, these Pharisees, these Israelites, they had a role to play and it was to reconcile the nations with God, to be an agent of reconciliation. They weren't. Rather than saying, hey, nations, here's, here, here's how you come to God, they were saying, hey, here's why you can't. Here's why you need to get away. The older brother was to be an agent of reconciliation between the younger brother and the father. But, verse 29, but he answered his father, look, these many years I have served you. I have never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me even a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, the son of yours. You see how transactional he gets. It's no longer my brother. It's the son of yours. When the son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. Look at how he responds. The father comes and says, I've got a party. Come on in. And the older brother says, no, no, no. Look, I have obeyed you, father. I have served you. I have done what is right. Do you notice what it doesn't say here? You notice the older brother doesn't say, I have loved you my entire life. No, it says, I've obeyed you. Notice it doesn't say, I have delighted in your protection and safety and security. No, it says, I have obeyed your command. I have not disobeyed you. I have done this, and I didn't even get a goat. He gets the fattened calf. I didn't even get a goat. You gave him a party at the Ritz. You didn't even give me a pizza party for some friends. I deserve it, not him. I have earned it, not him. Dad, I'm the one who deserves the party. See, and this is where Jesus starts to really diagnose and challenge their view of what sin is. See, here's the picture that you get. The picture you get is that the root of sin is this statement, I don't want my father, I can do it on my own. I don't need the Father. I can do it on my own. I don't need God. I can do it by myself. I can be my own Savior. 
You see, the younger brother, it goes like this. I don't want you, Father. I can do it on my own. The older brother, it goes like this. I don't need you, Father. I can earn it on my own. See, sin isn't just what you do. It includes why you do it. See, motivation matters. Why you do what you do matters. God is after the hearts of His people. See, you, you can have two lives that look identical, one motivated by love, one motivated by self-righteousness, and they can look the same. And Jesus is saying to the Pharisees, listen, I, I, I know what your life looks like. I know how you live your life. I see what you do, and it looks like it's in line. But here's the problem. God sees your heart. He knows that you're a loveless, cold. You're not motivated by affection for him. You're doing what you think it takes to get what your father owes you. Motivation matters. The older brother wasn't obeying because he loved his father. He was obeying to get from his father. And so the question is, how does the father respond? Verse 31. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. He does not come to the older brother and say, how dare you act like this with me? I have done this for you your entire life. How dare you respond like this? He comes to the older brother and he says, all that is mine is yours. All that is mine is yours. Listen, just because I love your brother doesn't mean I love you less. Just because I'm celebrating your brother doesn't mean I don't want to celebrate you. All that is mine is yours. Yours, and then the younger brother, he is alive and he is home, and we ought to celebrate that. But again, this representative story has layers to it, and this story isn't simply about tax collectors and Pharisees. It's also about Israel and the nations. It's also about the kingdom of God and who this kingdom of God is good news for. It's also about the role of of Israel among the nations. It's about God reconciling and bringing all of the nations into his family, which brings me to another point. There was one more audience intended for this story. There was an audience beyond the audience of the Pharisees and the tax collectors that was intended for this story, and that audience is you. That audience is you. And for what this story is meant to say to you, we have to go back to the Father and his robe. Because you see, this robe wasn't just any robe. It wasn't just any robe. It was not a generic robe. This, this robe, the word that for this robe that gets used here is only used a few other times in the New Testament, and I want to read you four of them. I want to read you the four other times, or four of the, I believe, six other times that this word is used in the New Testament. And it says this, Revelation 7, 9, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in what? What? Louder, with some, you know, clothed in white robes, white robes, with palm branches in their hands. Verse 13 then one of the elders addressed me, saying, Who are these clothed in white robes, and from where have they come? I said to him, Sir, you know. 
And he said to me, these are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. In Revelation 22, the end of the story, blessed are those who wash their robes, wash their robes in what? In the blood of the Lamb, so that they may have the right to eat of the tree of life and enter the city by the gates. You see, this robe, as we read forward in the Bible, it's not just any robe. It is not a generic robe. It is the robe that you have in Christ. It is the robe that he died on the cross to purchase for you. It is what he has put on you. You know what Matthew says? Matthew says that Jesus put on a scarlet robe on the way to the cross so that you could put on a white one. He put on a scarlet robe so that you could put on a white one. And this robe, it comes with a ring, a ring that marks you as a member of Jesus' family. And that ring, it has sandals. This family is a place of safety and protection. And it doesn't stop there. You don't just get what came to the younger brother, you also have what comes to the older brother. The inheritance, all that the Father has to offer you in Christ is yours. All that he has to offer is yours. You get all that the younger brother did and all that's available to the older brother in Christ. You get the robe, the ring, the sandals, the inheritance. You see, this message, this message of Jesus is not meant to just be good news for one category of people. It's not meant to be just good news for one sect of people. It's meant to be good news for all older brothers and younger brothers alike. And so you older brothers out there, you older brothers in the room who are afraid that one more act of disobedience, I'm going to get set outside the family. One more fumble, one more stumble. If I don't live up, I'm going to get put outside the family. You older brothers, Jesus is saying to you, breathe, breathe. All that I have is yours. All that I have is yours. I have put on, I have washed you in my blood so that your robe could be as white as anyone's breathe. And so younger brothers out there, younger brothers who I identify with, who have run, who are prone to run, who are prone to green light things that you, you know shouldn't be greenlit in your life. You younger brothers, this message is good news for you. It is saying you can draw near to Jesus any day, every day, draw near to him and experience the washing that comes from the blood of Christ. This is message, this message is meant to be good news for older brothers and for younger brothers. But here's the deal. There is a propensity in all of us toward one or the other, if not both. And so the question is, who do you identify with? Who are you more like? If Jesus meant for you to find yourself in the story, where do you find yourself? Who are you more like, the older brother or the younger brother? Are you the older brother with the mantra of, I deserve it, I have earned it, I have done it, you ought to do it too? Do you feel more like a servant than you do a son? Do you feel like God is more of a, sovereign dictator or a compassionate father? Who is he to you? If that's you, here's your action item. You ready? Return to the Father's heart. Return to the Father's heart. There is a kiss waiting for you. There is an inheritance waiting for you. Are you the younger brother? Spent your days running, looking at your life going, how did I get here? How did I make a mess out of this? If that's you, Here's the action item. 
return to the Father's heart. There is a kiss and a robe waiting for you. For you. And there's a ring waiting for you, a family that you can belong to. And if I could say it this way, that family can be this family. At the beginning, it said that the Pharisees were grumbling that these people were coming near to Jesus. I'd like to ask us this question. Is their grumble your hope? Is their grumble that outsiders can draw near to Jesus, is that your hope? Is that the governing hope of your life? Is the governing hope your job, your spouse, or is it drawing near to him? To help diagnose this question, let me ask this. If you could have, if you could have the party, if you could have the fattened calf, if you could have the celebration, if you could have the epic shindig at the Ritz, but the Father's not there, do you want it? Do you want it? John Piper asked the question like this. If you could have anything and everything under the sun, all the sensual pleasures purified you could ever imagine, the life you have always dreamed of, but God's not there, do you want it? Do you want it? If you could have the epic party and the Father's not there, the music, the dancing, do you want it? That is a question in your life that needs an answer because listen to me. Whether you are the older brother, the younger brother, prone to earn it, prone to run, the solution is the same. Draw near to the Father's heart. Draw near to the Father's heart. Embrace His embrace and run back to it. Because Jesus is trying to tell a story. Jesus is trying to tell a story that is going to say to the older brother, the Father is moving toward you. You older brothers in here, he's trying to tell you that the Father is moving toward you and his embrace is for you. And to the younger brother, that he is moving toward the younger brother and his embrace is for you. You younger brothers in this room, Jesus is trying to tell you through this story that the embrace of the Father is for you. Run back to the Father's heart. Run back to his heart. The Father is moving toward you. Run to his embrace. Let's pray. Father, thank you for a story like this that we can so easily identify with. Thank you for how this helps us understand a bit more about sin and a bit more about salvation and who Jesus' message is good news for. And so for those of us who are older brothers, afraid that one more mistake and we no longer belong, would we be reminded today that the blood of your Son has washed the robe and put it on us, and it's white and it's beautiful and you delight in us. And to the younger brothers, to us younger brothers, Father, remind us that the good life is the life spent near you, not the life spent running from you. That just leads to eating what pigs eat. Help us remember we need your mercy and we need your grace. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.